So I want to say thanks to uh, Jason, who has held down the fort over the last few weeks, and Caleb, who preached last week. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I've heard great things about it. I've been working with Jason, but I see we got more work to do. I, I've told him that when he talks about 700,000 people and calls them morons, or, or uses a phrase like little old ladies, that he's supposed to begin by saying no offense. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that. It, it's, uh, it's good to be back and to be with you again and to be in this place. I've had some, some uh, fun but crazy travels. This past week, uh, I had the privilege of, of directing YXL. YXL is a, a high school camp that our church has been a part of for many years, um, and this year we had 96 uh, high school students from the western part of the U.S. who gathered at uh, Silvercliff Ranch in Colorado, and we dived or dove deep into God's Word uh, and considered what it looks like to live a life of joy. And Ethan was there and took 13 of our own students along with Dana and Eric Freeman, who went as counselors, and you may see them with these uh, YXL 2019 shirts on. That's why they're wearing those. Uh, it was a great week, but I'm a bit spent. Uh, we got in late last night after about a 13-hour drive. And so when we pray in just a moment, uh, in all seriousness, I would ask you to pray for me that uh, I'll be clear and that God's Word, uh, in spite of everything else, will work in power. This morning, we're going to look at Acts 14, continuing our journey through the book of Acts. And we're going to look at chapter 14 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the pew rack, and you can make your way to page 923. That's where Acts 14 is located in the pew Bibles. If you don't have either one of those, you can grab the bulletin. I believe it's printed there as well. Let's pray, and then we'll read God's Word together. Heavenly Father, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word remains forever because it is living, it is active, it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, I pray that your word would work, that your spirit would go before uh, the preaching and reading of the word, and that you would do the work within us that you intend to do, and open our eyes and unstop our ears and give us uh, receptive hearts for whatever you intend for us uh, to glean this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read the entire chapter. It's a bit long, but uh, hang with me. This is God's holy word. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. 
And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also, or we also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded, the, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. May God write his word upon our hearts. So here, here's where we're going this morning. The Christian life is a life of ministry. Full stop. The Christian life is a life of ministry. If you are a Christian, then your life is meant to be given in gospel service for the good of others to the glory of God. The Christian life is a life of ministry. And, and yet... Ministry isn't always glamorous. It isn't always glorious. Sometimes a life of ministry feels like you're slogging through the muck. If, uh, if you've been with us as we've journeyed through Acts, we've seen all these grand moments, all these awesome moments of God doing incredible ministry with and through people. Stephen's sermon that he preached early on, I, I believe that, uh, that God used that sermon to pierce the heart of Saul. Earlier, Philip led an Ethiopian eunuch to faith, and we see one of the early baptisms. Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus, his subsequent devotion to ministry and mission. Peter's vision, Cornelius' conversion. These are these grand moments where we see God at work. And if ministry were always like those moments, then we would never, we'd never waver from it. But it's not. Uh, you know, in, in, for the most part, in the book of Acts... We are, we are getting the sports center highlights of the early church's ministry, right? Sports center is no longer sports center. Uh, I don't know what it is now, but back in college, I used to watch it for hours on end on this repeating loop, and, uh, and it showed the highlights from the previous day, so it showed, the, it showed the home runs, but it never showed the hundreds of strikeouts. 
And what we see for the most part in Acts are, are all the home runs. We see these grand, glorious moments of ministry, but we don't see the hundreds of strikeouts and the daily plodding and trotting. Does, does that make sense? This past week, as I mentioned, it was, it was great. Um, it was a mountaintop experience, both literally as well as spiritually. Uh, there were these great moments where students opened up and, and poured out their hearts to their leaders and even to me. I actually could see with my own eyes students growing and owning their faith. It was observable. On the last night, two nights ago, a young man came forward and asked for prayer to believe the gospel. Now, I have to tell you, if, if ministry felt as easy as that, felt as easy as taking candy from a baby, then we would never get discouraged. But not every week is like that. You see, YXL is one week, and there are 51 other weeks of the year. Or, or think about this day. Think about Sundays. On, on Sundays, many of you get to use your ministry gifts that God has given you to pour into and to shape the hearts and, and minds of others. And those are glorious moments when you see a child get it. Or, or when uh, we heard testimonies this morning of God using others in the church so that we, we more fully understand the gospel. They're glorious moments. Or even in worship when we gather to sing and worship and affirm our love for God and one another. It's grand. Sundays fill our sails, but Sunday's just one day, and there are six other days in the week, and if we're honest, many days, perhaps even most days, feel like we are slogging through the muck, and, and I suspect that may have been what Paul and Barnabas felt, and I'm thankful that Luke recorded not only the Sports Center highlights, but also these mundane moments these monotonous moments. And so, I don't think this is included in the, uh, the printed, the, the scriptures is printed in your bulletin, but if you have your Bible open, you'll see these headings. Paul and Barnabas at Iconium. Paul and Barnabas at Lystra. Paul and Barnabas at Antioch. Do you get the picture? Normal ministry doesn't always have this eye-catching section heading. Because many times, normal ministry doesn't catch the eye. Many times, normal ministry, the ministry that God has given to us, day in, day out, is, is monotonous and mundane. So this past week, uh, we were at Silver Cliff Ranch in uh, Buena Vista, Colorado. And as we were there, I, I was taken back to the summer of 1995 when I worked at a Christian camp in, in New Mexico. And I, would, I had just wrapped up my, my freshman year in college, and so I was the low man on the totem pole. And I was assigned, I, I, was, I, I, I put in for that summer to these great jobs. I wanted to work with kids, I wanted to do all these kind of things, but I was assigned to work in the canteen. The canteen is the, the cafe, coffee shop, snack bar sort of area. And so on the first day of work, there was about two dozen of us college students from around the country who, who had gotten the, uh, the canteen assignment. And our supervisor said, I need two volunteers to come in at 5 a.m. each morning to open up the canteen and to make donuts. He said, you'll get off at, at noon each day, but you've got to get up at 4.30. Well, I, I shot my hand up. That sounded good. I shot my hand up, me and another guy, and we became the donut guys for the summer. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've never really been a morning person. I'm still not. So, so getting up at 4.30 every morning turned me into a zombie the entire summer. I was the walking dead. 
And that whole summer, as I was doing it, I was living out this commercial from my childhood. And some of you are old enough to remember, in 1990, Dunkin' Donuts put out this, this ad campaign with Fred the Baker. His alarm went off, and he would get up, time to make the donuts. <laughs> He'd brush his teeth, and his wife would hand him whatever he walked, time to make the donuts. My life that summer was like Fred the Baker's. Same thing every day. Same routine. Maybe you remember the, uh, the cinematic masterpiece Groundhog Day. Um, <laughs> So, so Phil Connors uh, is played by Bill Murray, and he's a weatherman who travels to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, to cover the, uh, the annual Groundhog Day ceremony. And, and what you discover is Phil's, Phil's an angry man. He hates this assignment. He thinks the people of Punxsutawney are hicks. His alarm goes off that first morning, and it's Sonny and Cher playing I Got You, Babe. And he goes throughout his day just gritting his teeth, and the next day he wakes up, and it's the same song, and it's the same day. And this continues. Every morning he wakes up to the same song and the same day, and the worst day of his life just keeps repeating itself. And so I want you to consider, have you ever felt like Fred the Baker or uh, Phil Connors? Have you ever felt like every day is just more of the same? Like ministry is, is just more of the same? Like it's more failure than success? And if you have, I want you to know you're not alone. And what I want to show you for the next few moments is that even, even in the mundane, even in the monotony, God is doing a gospel work to bring about his glory. And so as we look at our passage, I have a few thoughts I want to share with you. Now, you won't, you won't find an, an outline in your bulletin. This, this uh, past week, I tried to sneak away at every little moment and, uh, and work on this sermon um, but there was, there was absolutely no cell service there in the mountains. It was actually sort of awesome. Uh, we had very spotty Wi-Fi, and so I was struggling to get Sarah my notes, even the text and the title. And so you just have to listen and follow along as best you can. Uh, the first thought that I, I want you to consider is that when you're slogging through the muck of ministry, you must be prepared to receive mixed messages and obstacles. Faithful ministry isn't always glorious ministry, and you have to be prepared to receive mixed messages and obstacles. And so this, this chapter begins on a high note. Paul and Barnabas enter the synagogue at Iconium, and they begin to teach and preach, and the passage says, in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. This is glorious ministry. But at the same time, other Jews began to, to push back began to push back against the work of God. And they stirred up many of the unbelieving Gentiles, and I think it's interesting, the text says, poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas. This is the work of the enemy to undo all that God is doing. And Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly and testified to God's grace, and, and verse 4 says, the people of the city were divided. Listen, we, we have to be prepared for a similar sort of response when we go about ministry. It just seems to be the way that God permits things to work. When God is at work, Satan is also at work. And we know, we know the final outcome. When things are going great, we must be prepared for obstacles and not become easily or overly discouraged. And I love the simplicity of verse 7. When their ministry had run its course in Iconium, and when the obstacles seemingly put an end to their work there, Paul and Barnabas didn't give up. 
They didn't become overly discouraged. They moved on. And verse 7 says they moved on to Lystra, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Friends, faithful ministry is mundane ministry. It's sometimes when we, when we are given obstacles and, and when the messages are mixed that we are not overcome by discouragement or sadness or sorrow, but that we fully expect these things, that God is going to work. And so we continue simply to preach the gospel. Here's a second thought. Sometimes when you're slogging through the muck of ministry, you have to be prepared to divert praise away from yourself to God for whom it's due. Be prepared to divert praise. When, when Paul and Barnabas journeyed from Iconium to Lystra, um, they found new opportunities for ministry. And they encountered this man who was crippled since birth. He had, he had never walked. And uh, one of the commentaries I was reading this past week says, in some way, the Holy Spirit gave Paul insight into this man's heart. This is a work of the Spirit. This is not a normal thing where Paul could see what was going on within and Paul recognized that, that this man, had, God had given him the seeds of faith to receive the healing word of the gospel, and so he was healed, physically as well as spiritually. And I've always found this little section of chapter 14 interesting because it's a bit odd compared to other parts of the New Testament um, when we see miracles. So you'll, you'll know that many times in, uh, in the gospels, when Jesus performed a miracle, when he healed a person, the religious crowd turned on him. The religious crowd would, would turn against him, and they would say things like, by what authority do you heal this person? On one occasion, they ask, what gives you the right to heal and forgive sins? And so many times, perhaps most of the time, when Jesus performed miracles, it was not received well. But here, the crowd did not turn against Paul and Barnabas. They turned to Paul and Barnabas and began to praise them. Did you catch what they said? At least the implication of what they said? Surely, these men are gods. Surely, the gods have taken on flesh and the likeness of men. But only one man is God. And only one God took on flesh in the likeness of men. In other words, the crowd was essentially treating Paul and Barnabas as Christ figures and giving them the praise that Jesus deserves. Surely these men are gods and have come down incarnate. They were turning them into Christ. And I believe there's a very important lesson for us to learn here. Sometimes when we're when we're going about it and sort of slogging through the muck of ministry, God will be at work and he will use us and work through us. And those to whom we minister may make much of us instead of Jesus. And we mustn't let that happen. We, we, we must not take pleasure in the praise of men, but must divert that praise to Jesus, for he is worthy of it. You know, pride can get the best of us. Um, the praise of men is seductive. It, it, it's seductive in our ears. A, a while back, I received a, a letter from a man who is a member of another church, and he was praising his pastor. And he said, quote, there is no one like my pastor. 
He saved my life and saved me from hell. I would be nothing if it weren't for him. Now, as a pastor, I can appreciate, I think, what this man meant. His pastor had poured into him, but he hadn't poured into him enough because this man had put his pastor in the place of Jesus. My pastor saved me from hell. There's something that rings wrong about that. And that the greater danger in that whole scenario that I was uh, involved with is that the pastor began to believe his own press clippings. The pastor did not divert praise, but instead received praise. And many times as we're going about it, this is one of the obstacles the enemy will use, that God will work through us and we will see, we will see God doing things in people's lives through our ministry. And when people begin to praise us instead of praising Jesus, or when we let that praise fall upon us and don't divert it to Jesus, um, we're in danger. We're in danger of a downfall. Notice what Paul and Barnabas did. Notice what they said. They, they tore their garments. This is a biblical act of repentance. It's an act of, it's an act of mourning. They didn't want this, these words. And they said, we are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news of a living God. In other words, it's not about us. It's about him. Friends, we are ministers of Jesus. We are messengers of his good news. We're conduits for his glory. And if we're not careful in the normal course of ministry, we can actually work against what God is doing by not diverting praise that is given to him. Let me give you a third thought. I find the transition uh, from verse uh, 18 into verse 19, I find it interesting. So we're told that Paul and Barnabas, even after saying, we're men like you, or to paraphrase it, your, your praise and devotion is wrongly focused. We're men like you. It says that they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Then one verse later, in the same city, the crowds turned. They turned on them. They stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city. Think about that. Within one verse, within the recording of one verse, the people are about to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas because of all the great things that they are doing, or at least God is doing through them. And within one verse, they've turned. So the third thought to consider is that we must be prepared for people to turn against us. I mean, Jesus said this. He said this to his disciples. Men, if men hated me, they will hate you also. And the implication is that when our ministry follows the ministry of Jesus that we can expect at some point the same treatment as him. You know, it's really amazing. The, uh, the movement from praise to persecution happens just like that. Right? In an instant, Paul and Barnabas went from, from being viewed as gods to pariah. Because, when, again, when God is at work, Satan is also at work to keep, to keep God's work from flourishing. You know, I was thinking this past week as I was jotting some notes down about all the celebrity downfalls that we've seen over the last year. One in particular, Kevin Spacey. Many regarded him as one of the finest actors of our generation. And he went 
With about a three-month period of time, he went from being universally lauded, one of the most highly sought-after actors, to public enemy number two in Hollywood, just behind Harvey Weinstein. Spacey can't buy work anymore, at least not presently. Now, we tend to have short memories when it comes to these things. The point is, Kevin Spacey went from being praised to, to being a pariah, and that was because of his own sin. But it illustrates how fickle, how fickle people are with their praise. And what we see here in Acts is that there are moments, there are moments like Pentecost. There are these high, grand, glorious moments. There are moments like we'll see in a few weeks where, where Lydia and the Philippian jailer are converted, where their families are brought into the covenant. There are these grand, glorious moments where we see God at work and there's no obstacles. And then there are moments just in an instant where persecution arises and people turn. And what I want you to understand is this is not an anomaly. This is the normal way of ministry. This is the normal uh, way that, that, that God tends to let it work. And so we should expect this and we should be prepared for this. Finally, this chapter ends... Uh, much like it began. Paul and Barnabas packed up, they picked up, they went on to Antioch and continued to testify to the grace of God and all that he was doing. So the last thing I want you to consider is that we need to be prepared for a life of mundane faithfulness. You know, I, I don't know if I have it within me to, to respond the way that Paul and Barnabas responded. I, I want to, you know, I, I can easily get discouraged. When, 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 when people's praise turns, and when I meet obstacles and, and, uh, and discouragement, I can easily be overcome with self-pity. And, and sometimes when ministry is in a low place rather than on a mountaintop, I, I forget that God is still at work. And that's what I want you to really leave with this morning. That, that we see God at work clearly almost on every page in the book of Acts and there are these, these high mountaintop grand experiences, but God is still at work in these low places. In fact, he does his best work there. He does his best work through us in the mundane daily grind. Jesus chose, or did not choose, the powerful, the influential, he chose fishermen, ostracized tax collectors. He chose the weak and the marginalized. Even now in the book of Acts, he chooses Saul. Who would choose Saul to build the Gentile church? And it's through this ministry of mundane faithfulness that Christ continues to build his church. And so what I want to leave you with is as you are going about seeking to be faithful and minister for Christ and for his kingdom, that there are moments, there, there are moments, uh, Jason's played a lot of golf here lately, um, because uh, what course is it? Paige Belcher has this $6 special in the summer. You can go at like 7 p.m. and play for six bucks. Um, it's a great deal if you want to get into it, by the way. But uh, I've seen Jason play golf, and he's not a great golfer. And he's a better golfer than I am, but he's not a great golfer. And so what happens is I've played with him enough is that we will get out there and almost lose our religion on the golf course. <laughs> and I will think to myself, why am I doing this? Why? 
Why did I get dressed up in all this silly Nike gear? Why did I put on these uncomfortable shoes? Why am I out here in the heat? Why am I paying to, to have my sanctification regressed? And then I will hit a sweet drive, right? Or a nice chip. And it keeps me coming back, right? What I want you to remember is that there, at least in my case, maybe not in Maggie's case, maybe not in James's case, who's going to play a tournament down in my hometown tomorrow, but in my case, there are many more errant drives than there are ones down the middle of the fairway. Ministry is like that. A life of ministry is like that. It's getting up and being faithful and expecting obstacles and hitting out of the rough and knowing that God is at work. He is building his church. What we see at the beginning, what we see at the end, is the good news of God's grace continues to go forth, even in the low places. And so we trust Christ for that. Let's do so in prayer. Heavenly Father, give us the strength of your Spirit to believe that we, that we are really no different than Paul and Barnabas, that we are simply uh, faithful servants, that we are men just like others, that each of us, pastor, elder, deacon, Sunday school teacher, that we are all equal at the foot of the cross, and that all the praise that, that is given when you uh, are at work, it's your praise. It goes to you. And let us not get discouraged when we face obstacles or um, when people turn against us, for there are far more times like that than, than not. And we, we're like Peter. We're not so faithful. We can easily um, get discouraged and deny you, at least in the way we live. And so God, by your Spirit, strengthen us, restore us, renew us, give us gospel hope that Christ will build his church and he'll build it in these grand and glorious ways.